Greetings, and welcome to the 80-Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off-limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Hello guys and welcome to 80 Level Roundtable and today we have with us uh, Jasmine Habitsai-Fekri. I hope I pronounced this correctly. So we we are actually friends with Jasmine for a while and we did a bunch of interviews with her. So we decided to kind of invite her to our podcast to discuss the topics like in education and uh, recruiting and how it all works today. Uh, but first, Jasmine, could you do like a little intro if somebody's not familiar with you? What do you do? Where do you come from? And so on. Yeah, sure. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm Jasmine. I'm currently living in Cologne, Germany, and I'm a 3D environment artist, freelancing and also going to a university at the moment. It's my last year. So, yeah, I'm just wrapping this up. And in the past, I freelanced for a couple of games and did an internship at Square Enix, Montreal. And I really love doing anything that's stylized and colorful. And yeah, that's what I've been doing in the past three years, basically. Yeah, so Jasmine has been very uh, humble because she has like some of the best stylized <laughs> art that we featured like on any level. <laughs> Thank you. But, yeah. Um, so Jasmine, could you give us a little um, like background on how do you decided to do this? and? where did you decide to go after school mm-hmm. like, to kind of pursue this career? So after high school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do because back then it wasn't even a possibility for me in my mind that I could do anything in games. Like anyone, I would play a lot of games in my childhood and continuing to do that. But after a couple of years after high school, I went to England and I lived there for a while. And then I found out there actually about uh, game-related courses and started to look into it. And I started applying there and got accepted by some universities. But then the whole Brexit thing happened. And I also have a partner who's from England. So we both decided to look for what's there in Germany. And the education system in the UK, especially for universities, is very expensive. It's pretty similar to the US, I guess. Um, Tuition fees are very high. And then when I realized that I could study something in games, I looked uh, in Germany. And in Germany, actually, uh, there are some game schools. They're state-funded locally, and they're also accredited. So you get a bachelor at the end of it. And we found one that's in my hometown, actually. I had no idea about this, actually. So it was super great to find out. But um, yeah, so I started the application process there. It took quite a while to get into that university. I have a very limited um, application pool. And yeah, that's when I started to just get into it, really. Before that, I'd built up my portfolio from zero. I started looking online on tutorials. I learned Blender. I did everything just by myself, really, and got into the community a bit, which also helped me a ton. But um, yeah, just within the past years, I've been doing exactly that, just learning and trying to build my portfolio on and see what I really enjoy doing. And I'm slowly getting there, I guess, because now I really know what I'm passionate about and I really enjoy doing what I'm doing right now. So would you say that school helped you a lot? Because we asked the question to a lot of artists mm-hmm. and uh, 
the replies are always different. So there is no like universal idea whether yeah. going to school is uh, like a good idea or mm -hmm. it's just a waste of time and you can kind of self-educate. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering like, what's your take on it? Like, what do you think? I'm a bit torn on it because at the start I was slightly disappointed that our university didn't offer that many 3D related courses because it's more focused on developing games and um, doing the theory side of game studies and history. So at the start, if you would ask me like three years ago, I'd be like, oh, it's not really worth it. I should have just self-studied. But now looking back at the last three years, it did give me a lot of time to to do that self-studying and to work on my portfolio without having the pressure that I need to have a job right now. And um, that helped me immensely to find freelance jobs and even opportunities for after university. So I think if you can go to a university that's not super expensive, I would recommend it because it gives you time to figure out what you want to do without having the pressure of earning something yet. Um, but I would also look to find a good school that fits your needs. Like it shouldn't be just completely unrelated that you suddenly end up doing programming even though you want to do art because that is definitely a waste of time in my opinion if it like doesn't relate whatsoever to your field. Makes sense. So, and Jasmine, you are in Germany, right? So, uh, yeah. and the edu education and higher education there, it's free. You don't basically yeah. have to pay for it, right? So, I guess in your case, it's just totally makes sense, right? Because you're not investing like that much in, exactly. into like whatever you're studying, right? Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about like self education. I think mm -hmm. this is one of the most important parts of any kind of process when you want to learn something new. And yeah. this includes obviously game art because it's such a it's such a weird thing where you have a bunch of stuff from art and you have mm -hmm. to know like the basics like anatomy and like you know color theory and composition and all those. Mm -hmm. And at the same time you kinda constantly have to be up to date on like the new workflows, the new tools, which are it seems getting more technical almost every day yeah. so how do you kind of um, keep up with those like new developments and uh, as a student like I mean what's your approach there like do you go on YouTube and, and just find some videos there do you go mm -hmm. on places like 811 art station to kind of mm -hmm. check out like what's going on or do you go well like what are like the main directions where you kind of get your information I think it changed over the years when I was super fresh to 3D. I would just go on YouTube and watch super basic things and then do little projects and apply those skills because I was never the person to follow like tutorials step by step. That's not really what I can do. Uh, I really enjoy just to get that knowledge and work with that knowledge on a new project. And that's what I've been doing. But recently, especially because I've been trying to pick up uh, PBR and was doing a lot more of that in my projects, I did go on 80 level on ArtStation and really studied other people's work and approaches and then looked deeper into that direction, which really helped because especially when you read breakdowns and have those pointers that people give you because they're not step by step, they're just like a good summary of what they do. It does help you to get that little head start and know, okay, I have to now Google this or look into this video and do learn these specific things. But I think when you're like super new to 3D or art in general, it's good to have a basic understanding of everything and um, also an understanding of art and color theory and all these like very, um, I don't know, uh, 
not concrete like program skills i would say but more like a feeling for art and what's appealing to look at and that's something you learn over time not straight away but having that in mind from the start i think really helps to have a better understanding of um, what looks good and what doesn't in the process and by the way does understanding of like game development process and mm -hmm. like the, like the game development history does it help you kind of get into this field or it's just like extra knowledge that you don't really need I think what did help a lot was working uh, inside groups and make games, even though all of us were super inexperienced at university, um, because you get to um, learn during the process. Nobody expects you to be perfect or do everything right straight away. It's just everyone's kind of doing <laughs> by learning, uh, which helped a lot. And the other side of the, the history part or how games were developed over time, at the moment, I was also more like, oh, this is just interesting knowledge, but it won't help me. But over time, it gives me like a more different look on games that come out recently and kind of analyze them in that way and see, okay, we've come so far since the games I've played as a kid, or how do they relate? Or when you see remakes being remade, you can compare them and put them more into context. So I think that knowledge does help a lot because it's like when you learn about art, but you also learn about art history a bit and how maybe artists would go from expressionism to another type of art um, movement and having that knowledge and having those slight influences that um, don't relate just by doing the one thing 100%, I think really helps to broaden your horizon a bit and have a more different outlook on your craft and what you're doing. Jasmine, so you've recently published a very interesting work and environment like mm -hmm. uh, with Unreal Engine. Mm -hmm. And um, we're, we're having like a separate article with it on 80 level, but I wanted just to kind of touch on the point, how do you learn Unreal Engine? Because I have friends who are not like really into like games and uh, art, right? But they mm -hmm. are passionate about game development and they, since, Unreal Engine is very popular right now and hot, right? They mm. kind of want to get into it. So they start getting into it without all that background knowledge. Yeah. Right. The, without the knowledge, how do you do like the alpha or something, mm -hmm. you know? And um, it is incredibly challenging for them because yeah. they, they don't know like where do they find a tutorial and whenever they go mm. to like Unreal Engine, uh, you know, their like internal library with all yeah. the documents, like descriptions, it doesn't give you that much information, right? It, mm -hmm. it does give you sort of like the basics yeah. to kind of get you started, but it doesn't kind of tell you like, where did you make a mistake? Like, what are like the things that you need to look after? And uh, it can be a little bit discouraging. So I would love to know, like from your point of view, since you're kind of getting into Unreal Engine mm -hmm. and trying to learn it more, like what were the biggest kind of like pointers for you what did you find most useful while mm -hmm. trying to understand how the engine works and achieve incredible results there? I think a big point is, as you mentioned, that um, if you lack the understanding of general 3D pipelines, it will be incredibly difficult to get in first. It's like with any uh, 3D related thing, when you're doing it for the first time, everything just seems confusing. Um, so it is important, I think, to first being able to do 3D and know what PBR is, doing textures and substance uh, in the substance suit, and know the difference between normal maps, roughness, metallic, because that's what's required inside Unreal, and having that basic knowledge really helps just to get into it quicker. But 
since I had all that knowledge before, I think it was, I had a bit of a head start going into Unreal and I used uh, Unity before for a couple of years now too. So it was different, but it wasn't like, I didn't know what anything means. Like I know what a material is, I know how lighting works. Um, it's just like a different, uh, yeah, engine to work with. And, and But what does help a lot is having communities where you can reach out to and just ask questions you have. Like I'm in several discords, for example, where people um, have specific channels where you can just ask any technical questions you have. If you have some problems and you're troubleshooting with people, are like super happy to help you anytime. Like uh, even if you have super basic questions, like in my head, I'd be like, oh, this is maybe such a dumb question. Why am I asking this? But people would be like, no, it's fine. Like you're starting out and not everyone knows this and it's hard to find documentation on some things. So just ask away. So um, I think people shouldn't be shy to reach out to people and let them help them in that case. Jasmine, you, you're also being very prolific with Blender. Mm -hmm. And um, we ask these questions a lot, but I would love to hear your opinion. So do you think Blender is slowly getting more like accepted by the industry in general? Mm -hmm. Do you think it will be like a couple of years before it's kind of like a main substitute for mm -hmm. like 3ds Max or some of mm -hmm. the other older software that's being used by like big studios? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's definitely getting there. When I started with 3D and learned Blender because I couldn't afford to buy Maya or 3ds Max as a student, there were people who were telling me like, oh, are you sure you want to learn Blender? Um, industries don't really accept it and studios have like a specific 3D program they use. It's mostly Maya or Max, so you should learn that. But I just kind of stuck to it because that's what I could do at the time. And to be honest, like those programs are insanely expensive when you're a student still. So I hadn't any other choice yeah, to also where not you're not a student they are still very expensive <laughs> exactly yeah that's what i keep hearing from like loads of friends who are working they're like i can't afford this anymore i just want to do 3d in my free time but not pay a thousand euros for it like that's not worth it so um back then like three years ago it was still like getting there but now so many um AAA studios are actually picking it up uh, for example during my internship at square enix i was using blender Nobody cared. They were all like, this is great. Um, all my colleagues were saying they want to learn it and they were really excited that I'm using it there. And uh, especially for environment art, I think it's a bit easier to um, implement it in a studio because you're not so much reliant on, for example, the rig working on something. That's what we were talking about at work, for example, that the animators do rely on Maya and having a character artist working inside Maya because the rigs just work better and you can transfer the animations and everything easier to engine. But with an environment, there isn't that many troubleshooting problems that would occur if you would just use a different program. It's the, you can export an FBX, nobody cares really. And I think that's what people are realizing slowly because it's First of all, less costs for the studio to just let people use Blender. You don't have to buy a license. And um, if everyone wants to use it and it's doing the same results, then I don't see any like issue with um, letting people use what they would like to use. Like there shouldn't be like that way of gatekeeping saying that, oh, you're using Blender, so we're not hiring you. And luckily so far, I've never had this issue that I wouldn't get a job because I'm using Blender. That was never the case mm -hmm. so far. So, Jasmine, uh, you mentioned your internship with Square Enix, and it's mm -hmm. such an iconic kind of studio, right? And I, I think a lot of our readers would love to not even work, like just to visit the, the <laughs> studio so, in Japan, probably. So yeah. could you could you talk a little bit about how did you 
um, how did you get that internship and mm -hmm. uh, what was the process like to get in this kind of like corporation? Mm -hmm. So I had a very unconventional way maybe of getting it because uh, I'm very active on Twitter. I always um, post my work there since the day I started with 3D and it really helped me to connect with people and find friends and everything like that. And one day I was just posting because we have to do an internship in one of our terms at university, but we have to organize it ourselves. So it's just our university saying you can do an internship if you like, but it's your job to find it. So I posted just on Twitter that I would like to do an internship and I need to start looking soon. And then I got a message from um, one of the people at Square Enix in Montreal asking if I'd be interested to intern there because they have a really exciting project for me to work on. And so I did just an interview. It was super quick and they showed me the project. I was really excited about it. Um, the one main thing, though, that was a bit difficult with it was that it's uh, in Montreal. I'm in Germany and I needed to go through the whole visa process. And I've never done this in that scale, especially if you want to get a work permit, it's a bit more complicated. So um, I started the process very early. Like I talked to them in December and then I applied for my visa in January and I started working in September. So it needs a lot of planning <laughs> beforehand <laughs> to yeah. um, do that, especially when you're from Europe. I think mm. so uh, tell us a little bit about the experience so how did you like working there mm -hmm. like what were the things that kind of you know that were uh, unconventional or mm -hmm. different like what are the things that you learned it would be very interesting to kind of hear mm -hmm. like from the inside what's going on there so um, what I can say, the branch in Montreal works on mobile games. And that was very new to me because before that, also in the context of university or my freelance jobs, I've worked uh, with PC games. Um, so I was excited to learn something new in that regard, having those constraints in mind too. And uh, when I joined the team, I was really surprised how um, small it was because I was thinking, okay, AAA, I'm going to be just one out of maybe 400 people there. And um, I'll just do like small tasks maybe. But I was in a really small and tight-knitted uh, team. Uh, we had like one person per um, specialization kind of, like one animator, one character artist. And then I was responsible for the environments. And that was like a really interesting task because it was a lot of responsibility, but I was really excited to take on that responsibility because I enjoy being just creative and putting in ideas and that environment there really helped me to do that too because everyone was really open for me to express um, any uh, ideas I had for the game or for the visuals. And having that kind of ownership was really nice to have as a first experience in the industry because you always hear like, oh, if you go in AAA, you're just going to be like, um, a very small part of the production, uh, you know, not, might not have much ownership, but that's normal. But in this case, I did get to have a lot of ownership for like my first internship, which was um, very unusual, I think, as an experience inside such a big company. Did you have like an art director who yeah. kind of gave you the tasks? Like how was that inter interaction structured? So did you, was there were like a lot of paperwork mm -hmm. or did you just have meetings with them? How did mm -hmm. it work? Uh, luckily, I didn't have many meetings. I had many one-on-one -on -one, uh, sessions with the art director or with our character artist or the VFX person. And we were just not like official meetings. We would just like sit around the desk uh, at my computer and just talk about things, give feedback to each other, or have like little meetups just in the office and stand-ups and just uh, exchange ideas we had. 
and um, it was a very uh, yeah indie like atmosphere I would say almost because the art director was always present um, they would always uh, make sure that we are heard and ask me for my um, like views I would have for the environment and um, yeah it was a very collaborative space like I wouldn't be just by myself and be like okay you do this now for the next three weeks and we won't look at anything you do. It would be like a constant exchange of, okay, I've done this asset, would you like to look at it? And then I get feedback on it and then go back and work on it. And we would implement it into the game and check in there if it looks fine and then just go back and um, yeah, have uh, open like channel of communication about it constantly, which was really great because it's very different to when you're working freelance and just get a job and you just, do the asset and then you send it back to the client. And this this was like, I was always able to go to my colleagues and ask them for feedback and get that instant uh, reaction, <laughs> which was really fun. Would you recommend for like young artists to kind of get a job and uh, go through this process or stick with freelance and stick with what you know and kind of earn your money that way? Because I know different people who have different views on this mm -hmm. you know and i have uh, met uh very talented artists who are doing just freelance mm -hmm. and they're doing like these gigs for or contract work for a couple of years yeah and uh they they don't want to really work in the office because of like various reasons and these include even stuff like uh taxes that you do yeah. they, they like to sit in their own country and pay less yeah. taxes than move for like a more expensive country like Great Britain, mm -hmm. for example, and uh, yeah. pay, pay, pay like a marginal larger <laughs> chunk from their earnings, right? Uh, but at the same time, there are people who are saying that in order to kind of learn, mm -hmm. you, you know, and, uh, you know, do something right in this industry, you kind of have to work in the office and yeah. collaborate with people. I'm not sure, like, what is a good direction to, to go right now because of because of the all the restrictions that we have because yeah. of the pandemic but like what's your take on this like w what would you suggest to like um, students or just younger artists i think i would say that they should try both for definite and then see what they enjoy more because before freelance uh, before the um, internship i thought freelance would be just the thing i would enjoy the most because i'm very much a person who likes to stay at home i like to just sit uh, in my own space and be comfortable there and rather talk to people online than maybe meeting up uh, but then when i went into the studio and experienced that and being able to interact with people there and hang out with them or just become friends i realized that i do enjoy that socializing part of being inside the office a lot and uh, having this kind of community and working towards a bigger goal together in that office space so i think for after my university i would like to do that again too but then i also hear from a lot of friends that they did exactly that they worked in the studio for a couple of years got all the experience and the knowledge and then started freelancing again because they um, just have enough uh, of that studio life and would like to just be back to freelancing because it gives them much more freedom to be at home or with their family or traveling or just work from anywhere in the world basically without having to relocate because that's a really big issue, I think. Even for me right now, like thinking about where I want to work later on and knowing that in Germany there aren't that all the opportunities I would like to pursue and know that I have to leave Germany at some point and go to another country if I want to work at those studios that are doing the things that I would like to be involved with. 
but as you said, currently with COVID, I think it will get more that people will probably stay most likely at home and even like bigger studios might be open to not people having to relocate necessarily to work in an office. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But I mean, we heard this a lot from different companies because they mm -hmm. are basically hiring everyone and they don't care about like where the person is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they care about maybe the the time zone. But that's yeah. it, right? <laughs> because they just want <laughs> communication kind of to be yeah. easier. But um, Jasmine, so since we touched on the topic of work, um, you mentioned that you're working a lot on your portfolio and you're mm -hmm. adding like new projects there. So how important is portfolio for an artist to get a job? Like what are the things that you have to kind of have in your portfolio to make it mm -hmm. kind of hireable? That's a good question. Um, I think it's important to show in your portfolio what your goals are and what exactly you want to work on. Uh, for example, if you want to work on stylized environments, just show that. Don't like put some characters maybe in there or some realistic props suddenly. I think it's good when somebody looks at your portfolio and knows straight away, okay, this person would like to work on this and that. Not specifically a game maybe, but at least like a art style or, um, yeah, if it's stylized or realistic, I think that's the main thing. And secondly, um, I think it's good to show in your portfolio what, that you're really enjoying what you're doing. That's like one feedback I've got a lot from people that they look at my portfolio and they know instantly that I'm really into what I'm doing. Like I'm really like the passionate about it. it sounds maybe cheesy, but like you can tell that I'm enjoying doing very colorful environments and people then consequently also ask me to do something like that. I don't get offers to do like gritty sci-fi um, environments in that case so having that clarity in your work and being um, like straightforward about what you want to work on is very important and um, third of all I think it's also good to show that you are um, that you're able to work with engines that's like a big thing I think and that's why I wanted to also use Unreal more now because I know how to work with Unity but I didn't really show that in my portfolio and always had to explain that in an interview um, but in this case, um, I really wanted to now have it in my portfolio too. So it's again clear that I can work with this, that I have the skill set for this, and that people can hire me to do this too. Right. So I think the thing you mentioned about the clarity of your kind of portfolio is super important. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess, to show the recruiter what you're kind of most interested in and to have yeah. like one picture of what you can do right because yeah i know artists are usually very universal and they can do different things right yeah. i mean i think you can do like hard surface if you kind of learn mm -hmm. a little bit more about it but at the same time you don't want to do something that you don't really that invested in right yeah. and you want to kind of keep with something and it makes the job of a recruiter much easier because yeah. he can if he has a specific style in mind, right, or he has some mm. kind of specific vision, right, then he can quickly, you know, sort out different portfolios and land mm -hmm. to something that he really likes and then kind of contact the, the person. So after the recruiter kind of makes um, makes his choice, right, so mm -hmm. what, what happens next? How do you communicate with them? What do you think uh, is important, what's not important? for them like personally like, like questions like relocation maybe or 
your knowledge of different um, uh, instruments, right, tools. And mm -hmm. at the same time, uh, is your experience important? Right? Because I think this is the ultimate mm -hmm. question that a lot of students yeah. have because when they leave, they kind of don't have a lot of experience. And then mm -hmm. at the same time, all they did for the last like three, five years, they were just doing 3D. So yeah. in, in one respect, they do have experience and the other respect, they don't have any commercial yeah. products that they should. So mm -hmm. what, how do you approach this kind of uh, conundrum? Yeah, I think that's interesting because I used to be also intimidated by um, job applications. So I would say, oh, you need to have so many ship titles and that much experience. And it's very off-putting, especially when you're a student, because you think, right, I obviously don't have this experience, so I'm not going to even apply to it. But I've got offers in the past and also recruiters approaching me for positions that were... Um, either junior, mid, or even senior. And then they would say they could adjust it just to my experience and to my um, current level. So it's completely possible that a position can be adjusted to what you are at at the moment if the company really wants you in that position. So I would definitely recommend anyone just to apply, not really worry too much about the experience thing because in the end, people will look at your portfolio and um, if they need maybe an artist, they'll do an artist with you just to like kind of solidify the impression they have from your work. And that will in the end decide if you are fitting to the project or not. And obviously if you are somebody who's like nice to work with and uh, seem like your vibe is <laughs> fitting to the company as well. But um, I think that shouldn't scare people off because, as I said, I've had people approach me for positions where I personally didn't think uh, I would be qualified at this point. But um, then talking further to the recruiter and about the job, I would be like, OK, yeah, this seems like something I'd be interested in. But I wouldn't know about this if I didn't even um, talk to the recruiter in the first time. Didn't just be like, oh, no, I don't have enough experience. So I'm not going to even look into this job offer at all. So always be open to see what it's about. And as I said, they can be adjusted to your needs in the end. Jasmine, thanks for this uh, answer. I think it's very inspiring for like younger artists. Um, <laughs> I have a question. So you mentioned that you were, were very active on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I think the first time I saw your work, I, it was on Twitter, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember, it was a long time ago, but yeah. yeah. So could you talk about like the way the, the main platforms where you think you should be present mm -hmm. as an artist, it could be like um, wh whatever you think. Um, mm -hmm. We we recently did a survey among people in our groups, as well as people on LinkedIn, like Discord and uh, uh, 10,000 hours group on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And we basically asked questions, so what are like the main uh, resources where you get uh, jobs, uh, yeah. job offers or whatever. And like the main uh, platforms were probably LinkedIn, ArtStation, and uh, just email. So people oh, are just okay. emailing them. So in your experience, so what are your like platforms and choice and where do you think you should be present? I think for me, number one is Twitter. Um, especially when you're a new artist, it's really helpful because when you just start out and have a portfolio on ArtStation, you don't really have that reach yet to get email offers or even on LinkedIn, you just start out with like 10 connections from a university, so not much comes out of it. But Twitter is really accessible in that case. You just post your art, you just put a hashtag on it, and then so many people get to see your work without being directly friends with you or following you. 
So, and even nowadays, I get a lot of job offers through Twitter because people saw my work circulating around or just saw me interacting with people. And it's the easiest way to build a connection with people in a more casual way as well. Because on LinkedIn, even nowadays, I'm still a bit intimidated by it because it's very formal almost. And uh, ArtStation, I, now that they introduced the uh, um, messaging system a couple of, I think it was last year, um, that really helped also with getting job offers. But before that, Twitter was a lot easier to get into, especially for freelance. I think it's the best resource ever because there's so many people and so many industry studios always asking for freelancers, for contract work. And a lot of my friends also, whenever they need like a little freelance gig in between uh, different gigs, they just post on Twitter, hey, this is my portfolio, just post like four pictures and uh, ask for work and everyone retweets it. So by the end of the week, you might have like 1,000 likes and retweets and you get five job offers out of it which is a very quick turnaround i think compared to on linkedin maybe or art station where you just wait for people to approach you basically but here it's more heads on you just put yourself out there and see what happens so you mentioned this uh, kind of duality right so yeah um you need uh, so you need work and you put yeah. your portfolio out there and then you yeah. wait for offers Mm -hmm. So is this the process that usually happens or are artists more proactive and they go on like all the job boards and kind of start mm -hmm. looking for work there? So what is like the more classical kind of approach? Because I think from your point of view, it makes sense, right? Because your works mm -hmm. are like very engaging and mm -hmm. people like to retweet them and uh, kind of post them around. Mm -hmm. But is, is there a process where people are just trying their own kind of like uh, applying whatever, you know, not waiting for offers to mm -hmm. kind of come to them because I really like that approach and mm -hmm. like the system that we've built, like on 80 level, it kind yeah. of, it kind of relies on that, right? Yeah. So we want to have like very good artists and we want kind of companies to come to them and, yeah. you know, uh, send them RFPs like, and uh, that that's it. Right. But mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people don't like that. And I think like, Oh no, I'm just gonna do like, you know, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna send like a, a hundred billion <laughs> yeah. know, requests to like all the job boards out there. So what's your take on that? Um, I think if you see a job offer that really speaks to you, definitely go for it. Um, I, like I always sometimes browse on ArtStation as well in the job offer sections because they have sometimes really interesting ones on there. Or even on Twitter, again, people who work at the studios like put a link to uh, the studio's website and say, hey, look, this interesting position is up right now. Apply everyone. Or even on Discord, people internally post uh, job offers that are not really put out publicly yet. And you can get in touch with the person and send your work to them and they recommend you to the studio. So I think it's good to always keep your eye out on all levels, like have a ready portfolio to put out into the world, but also look actively on jobs that are, get, uh, putting, are getting put up at the moment. Like um, I think sometimes even 80 level posts, uh, job offers that are currently around, which I find super interesting because you're not always aware of what's right now hiring and you know, always checking on LinkedIn, but having those little alerts everywhere and uh, actively looking on them and applying uh, it's really important because as you said, not everyone can just like sit and wait for offers. Like I also have phases where I don't get any offers and then I have to actively look on Twitter and then luckily there's always somebody who's saying, oh yeah, I'm looking for somebody to do X, Y, Z, which is, that's mm -hmm. why it's really um, helpful to be on those like more um, active 
communities that constantly post like updates and offers that are currently around because the industry is pretty big at the moment it's getting bigger every year and especially the more independent area has a lot of work to offer i think mm. interesting so you mentioned that the industry is growing and i do see less like from just the number of content that we're publishing right there's yeah. always something going on there's like new <laughs> tech or a new game or something else um but I think uh, over the last couple of years, there were a lot of fears that um, with the introduction of new tech, a lot mm -hmm. of the older jobs might go away. Because yeah. you've seen like a lot of the developments that NVIDIA is doing, like um, Adobe is doing, yeah. and all the other like Seagraph papers. Sometimes they can be really scary because it's just like simulation procedurally and the AI. Yeah. Um, so my question is, do you think like in 10 years from now, will we still have jobs for like a 3D artist in general, or would they need to kind of have a different skill set? You know, because I think now if you're doing, you know, realistic mm -hmm. environment, you kind of have to go with photogrammetry. It's not even, yeah. it's not even a choice anymore. Mm. Right, you you kind of have to go with some scanned assets. You need to use mega scans. You need to yep. kind of think in, in that direction. So, do you think this is gonna be like, you know, more used in like the next ten years, or do you think the industry will always have kind of like this, you know, oases of like stylized art that mm. is like handmade and so on? I think that's an interesting question because I've been thinking about that recently too. And uh, since I've also started to use uh, Substance Designer in my workflow, which is a lot more procedural than just going into ZBrush and sculpting every brick, um, yeah, I've, yeah. Been think <laughs> I've been thinking it's like it's, it's great because you don't spend so much time on these things that are fun, but it's not like necessary really to spend hours on them. So I see it more in a way that it will make our process maybe more fun and less uh, and will give us more time to spend on the creative side, on the um, conceptual side, like having interesting designs, interesting compositions, colors, uh, universes we can create. Because I think AI can't really do that. That's what we have like the upper hand locally that um, a lot of AI isn't uh, in that way very great at creating really pretty art yet. Like, especially um, in, in regards to stylized with like substance design, it, it takes even quite a while to get something to look yeah. nicely stylized uh, compared to having a realistic material. I've realized that in the past months it takes so much time and you even question if it's even worth it. But in the end, it is because you get to really adjust it so much faster which is worth it definitely. yeah yeah i mean uh, that's all the all the delights of like non-destructive workflow right because yeah. you can change whatever you like at any point and uh, yeah. nothing's gonna be broken it's, it's completely different like with <laughs> yeah. what you mentioned with zbrush where you kind of i mean i heard the stories from the guys from crytek basically mm. uh, because they when they when they did the first crisis they had a bunch of people just sitting in the office and just sculpting mm. bricks oh, that they were doing. Uh, and now it's just like you, you, you have one person who's going to do everything and kind of yeah. do the procedural way. And you can have like a lot of variations of those textures. And yeah. I'm also amazed by the stuff that Adobe is doing with their uh, Project Alchemist. Oh, and, yes. Uh, yeah. 
that's a crazy one, right? Because you just, uh, uh, they showed me the demo and that you just take a picture. Mm. You just take a picture of some texture that you have around. Yeah. And then it kind of produces a procedural material out of it, like yeah, on its own. Crazy. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. And I think <laughs> this is kind of going to develop more and more. But I agree that um, the tech might take all the tedious aspects yeah. of this. Because, I mean, we would love to have AI for like, UV, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who likes doing that? Nobody's likes doing exactly. that. Exactly. And or or some other like parts of the production that yeah. are th that are somewhere like in between, uh, more like a coding aspect, right, and yeah. the artistic aspect. So you will you you do want to have more like a time for the artistic stuff. Yeah. And uh, exactly. that kind of brings me to the like the last question that I have mm -hmm. is. Um, Jasmine, you have a very unique style, and um, I know that to to produce something like this, a lot of time and work has to go into mm -hmm. it, right? So, I know a lot of people who are who think that this is something that they really want to do, but at the same time, there are game companies and uh, who are who not always want to invest that much time into creating art. So, yeah. my question is. So how do you find that middle ground, right? Because as a perfectionist, you probably want to go like into like every little detail, like and put the flowers there and <laughs> fix the lighting like in a perfect way, right? And get the mm -hmm. reflection right. But at the same time, when you, you are under a deadline and yeah. uh, there is like um, somebody breathing down your neck, right? You kind of <laughs> have to move faster. So how do you find that kind of balance between like the time constraints and the like an artistic vision that you have? That's a tough question because that's something I still struggle with. Uh, I think you learned that with time because I used to be a lot more conscious about like little imperfections and I would be like vigorously fixing them and spend like an additional two weeks after finishing the whole scene to like adjust tiny things that nobody would ever realize that I changed them. And over time, I realized that nobody cares really if I do these things. Like, for example, I always ask my partner about this uh, when I fix like the lighting by, I don't know, 0.1 values or whatever. And then he's just like, yeah, this makes no difference at all. Just just don't be done with it. Like, it's okay <laughs> making like these uh, silly changes now. It's, it's not necessary. And I think it's important to have somebody also from the outside kind of telling you that sometimes because if you don't have anyone to talk to about this and you just work on your own pace you will be sitting there till next year working on fixing all the things you want to fix and uh, for my last project for example I set myself the deadline that I need to be done by uh, the end of September because I will start my thesis in October and there's no way that I can just take another month for this so I just gave myself four weeks. And then when I thought I was done, I said, okay, I'm done. And I didn't spend any additional like day to like go through everything again, because I said, I want this to be a practice. Uh, I don't want everything to be perfect. And it doesn't need to be perfect. Like the main goal I want with my work usually is to have fun and learn something new. And um, I think that will be the case when you work somewhere as well, because you won't have the time to do these endless fixes. And from a player perspective, nobody would even see these imperfections in the first yeah, place. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like, uh, I think there's a quote by uh, Leonardo da Vinci where he mm. says that art is never finished, only abandoned, right? Exactly. So you just, 
just need to say stop and that's, <laughs> that's yeah. just something that's <laughs> exactly yeah. like it's okay to look at it and be like okay yeah maybe next time i can do this better but i wouldn't open then my project after a couple of weeks and then do that because yeah i don't really see the value in that's better to like take yeah. those takeaways and put it in your next project yeah no, i think in studios you kind of have to go through so many iterations so many changes yeah. that you need to do with your stuff so at the end of it you're gonna be like oh no i'm just <laughs> i'm just gonna work <laughs> exactly. <something else." laughs> right exactly. right jasmine well thank you so much for your time i mean we're it's been almost an hour um <laughs> thank you so much uh i wish you all the best and i hope you find the great work and uh, continue putting amazing stuff online so we'll link all the like the recent interview and all the links to Jasmine's uh, profiles uh, in the description. So if you have some time, please go check it out. They're amazing. And yeah, maybe some last advice to like younger artists who are trying to kind of get into the world. Um, I would say just do what you really enjoy. It might sound simple, but if you do work that you are really enjoying and are passionate about, others will see that too and you'll get to do what you actually want to do in the future too so always create art that makes you happy that's that's what my main premise whenever i do something all right cool well thank you so much thank you for having me thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 level roundtable podcast check out upcoming episodes on the 80 level website at 80.lv join our career site at 80.lv rfp and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.